I'm going to warn you this morning, this is not a Mother's Day sermon, in a sense. Um, and, but in reality, it is a Mother's Day sermon. Because this morning, I am going to be speaking to the mothers. Um, I'm going to be speaking to all people. Because the question is this, what do mothers need the most? And the answer is the gospel. Is because mothers need what all of us need. And that is the truth about Christ. And so in that sense, we are going to be having a Mother's Day sermon this morning because we're going to be talking about the gospel. And that is certainly what all mothers need most. In particular, this morning, we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit. As we go through the book of Acts, uh, we're going to be seeing how the Holy Spirit is working in the life of the church Um, We're going to be slowing down here in particular in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this week and next week as well uh, because there's so much good here that we need to hear about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Pentecost, uh, Pentecost is a vital act of God in terms of the history of redemption. It is a vital and critical part of God's plan. Now, this was part of God's plan that he made within himself in the Trinity before time began. And we need to see it from this perspective. So you can imagine, uh, back in Genesis 1, we have this vision of God. And the world is formless and void. The Spirit of God is hovering over the deep. And you can imagine this relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit as God is making his plan for salvation before creation. You can imagine a conversation he has with the son. And he says, son, I am going to send you into the world. You are going to live and die. I'm going to raise you from the dead. And I'm going to bring you back here to be with me. And at that point, what we're going to do is you and I are going to send out our spirit And our spirit is going to indwell people. And this good news of what you have done is going to spread throughout the entire world. That was God's plan. And he had it in his mind before creation even began. Uh, We see it in Genesis 12, verse 3. If you remember the story of Abraham, when God calls Abraham and he blesses him, he says in Genesis 12, verse 3, said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Later on in the prophets, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the prophet says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light For the nations that my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. And as we go through the book of Acts, last week we talked, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Romans 1, Acts 1, verse 8 is the theme of the book of Acts. And we'll see that the gospel starts in Jerusalem, it extends to Judea and Samaria, and by the end we see Paul in Rome, where the gospel is extending to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's very exciting. 
So this is the, the age that we are in right now. We are in the age of the Spirit, where we are in the same point in history, in a sense, as those who lived 2,000 years ago, as those disciples. We are in the age of the Spirit. So, this is going to be our theme over the next two weeks as we look at verses 1 through 13 of Acts chapter 2. So, this is going to be our theme. We're going to see that God poured out the Holy Spirit in a spectacular way on the day of Pentecost so that his disciples would be powerful witnesses of the gospel, fulfilling the mission of God. So, let me go through that again. So, we're going to see that that God poured out His Spirit in a spectacular way on the day of Pentecost so that His disciples would be powerful witnesses of the Gospel fulfilling the mission of God. And what we're going to see is that even today, God pours out His Spirit in spectacular ways on us so that we would be powerful witnesses of the Gospel fulfilling the mission of God even today until Christ comes again. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks. And like I said, we're going to take our time, we're going to slow down through Acts chapter 2, because I think it's so critical. Not only do I think it's so critical, uh, but I think it's an area that we really struggle with, as what they call the frozen chosen, because that's who we are. Um, We struggle with the Holy Spirit. Um, And I think there's many reasons why we struggle with the Holy Spirit, Um, To to one degree, we affirm the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's actions in our lives. Uh, We believe in it. Uh, But on another level that we'll get to in just a minute, uh, I think that uh, we do struggle with it because it's something that it's hard to understand. It's something that it's hard to explain, something hard to control. And when we have things that are not easily controllable, uh, it's very difficult for us. So we're going to look into that a little bit this morning. So, um, I've got three points for us this morning. Three points. One, the Holy Spirit is real. He's real. Two, um, God pours out His Spirit in ordinary and extraordinary ways. So, He's real. We see Him in ordinary and extraordinary ways. And there is, or seems to be, this very special connection between prayer and the pouring out of the Spirit uh, that we're going to conclude with this morning. So, first of all, the Holy Spirit is real. Um, Our name is Trinity Fellowship Church, so we affirm the Trinity as a body. Um, Back when we changed from Northside to Trinity Fellowship, there was a reason for that, wasn't there, Dr. Irby? Because we affirm the Trinity. We affirm that there is a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. We believe that. When we say the Apostles' Creed, We say we believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament. I mentioned Genesis 1, verse 2, where it says God's Spirit is hovering over the waters. Uh, We see Him in the New Testament, in the baptism of Jesus. Uh, We see Him throughout the book of Acts. He is affirmed in uh, the epistles. Um, This is something that we would say that we do believe. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and we would affirm that He is real. That is my first point. It is short, but I feel like we just need to say it because sometimes we live in ways that we don't affirm that the Holy Spirit is real. But we need to affirm the fact that He is real 
and we do believe in Him. And we know that God pours out His Spirit in ordinary and extraordinary ways. And this is where we might start to get a little uncomfortable this morning. But that's okay, because it's good for us to be challenged, especially when it comes to the Spirit. So when we talk about the ways that God pours Him out in ordinary ways, this is ways that we're more comfortable with. And when I say ordinary, um, don't think that it's ways that are not incredible. Because anytime the Spirit is working, it is in incredible ways. But when I say ordinary, it's just things that we're more used to, in a sense. So Ben professed his faith in Christ this morning. How did Ben come to faith? The same as every one of us comes to faith. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So the Holy Spirit brings us to faith. Uh, We read in Romans 8 that Glenn finally got to in his Romans class this morning. That the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers with groans, with words that we can't even express. Um, This morning when we prayed uh, as we opened up our worship, we pray for the Holy Spirit to be present with us as we worship. These are ordinary means of the Spirit's presence. Uh, The Spirit acts as our conscience. The Spirit acts as our comfort, as our help in times of trouble. The Spirit confronts us and convicts us of our sin. As we come to the table this morning, later on in our service, we will come confessing. And what the Spirit does is it convicts us of our sin. And there is this special, incredible, awesome, ongoing presence that we have with the Holy Spirit. That as we read in Psalm 23, that there is nowhere that we can go, not even in the valley of the shadow of death, where we are apart from the presence of the Spirit with us. So when I mention ordinary ways that God pours out His Spirit, those are the type of things that I am mentioning. And those things are incredible. The fact that God is always with us by the power of His Spirit. So, but God also pours Himself out in extraordinary ways. Visions, healings, tongues, as we read here this morning. And when we start to hear about things like this happening in maybe other churches, in other parts of the world, there's something about us as the frozen chosen that starts to, I don't know, we get that feeling. Uh, We start to be wary. Is this true? Uh, Is this really happening? Why is that? Um, Is that biblical? Is that not biblical? Um, We turn to 1 John 4, and rightly so, where it says that we need to test the spirits. And that is valid, and we need to do that. But I'm going to make the argument that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that the same God that poured himself out in an extraordinary way on the day of Pentecost can and does do that even today. Um, Next week, just as a preview, we're going to get more in depth into the actions of Pentecost, what happened. Um, I'm going to make the argument that tongues... Uh, are not something that happens necessarily, um, but they happen very specifically on that day of Pentecost for a very particular reason. Um, Not to say that they can't happen, 
but they happen very, for a very particular purpose there. And we're going to look into that next week. But we have to believe that God, by the power of his spirit, can pour himself out in extraordinary ways. We do not want to limit God and the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, if you remember back into the history of our nation, uh, before actually our nation was officially founded, uh, there was a period of time called the Great Awakening. It's hard to talk about the day of Pentecost in our country and not talk about this day of the Great, great Awakening. Uh, we remember uh, men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, uh, these great men who were preaching during this time. And as I was researching a little bit of the Great Awakening, um, what I came to realize, and was also made me a little proud because of my heritage, is that a lot of uh, the Great Awakening started in the Dutch Reformed churches in New York. Now, when you talk about frozen chosen, Dutch Reformed is about as high as you can get in terms of the frozen chosen. So to hear that God poured out his Holy Spirit during the time of the Great Awakening, and it was using people in the Dutch Reformed church, and having it spread throughout the land uh, at that time using men like Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, uh, it's an incredible work of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, it was reported that at times 20 to even 30,000 people would come to hear George Whitfield preach. And this was in open air. And the Spirit was so present that even all those people could hear him without the, the modern amplification that we have today. During that time when the Holy Spirit was being poured out, people were cut to the quick. They were responding by repenting of their sins and trusting in the Lord as their Savior. Uh, it was reported that occasionally when Edwards was preaching, he would have to pause during his sermons, not because of what I do and get a little too emotional, but because others in the congregation were getting so emotional. There would be weeping and crying out where it would overpower his preaching, and he would have to simply stop and wait. Now, was everything going on in the Great Awakening, in a sense, biblical? Um, Edwards was critical of some of the aspects of the uh, Great Awakening as well. Uh, there were some things that were just, in a sense, sensational. Um, people would weep and cry out uh, for no apparent reason um, because they would see others doing that and things like that. So do we need to test the spirits? Absolutely. But was God pouring out his spirit in an incredible way during that time? Would we even say an extraordinary way? Yes, we would. You know, I've been studying the life of Schaefer for a while and just looking into uh, what, he ha what God has done through him. And I'm amazed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the ministry and in the life of Francis and Edith Schaefer. Um, when I was reading about Labrie and how Labrie started there in the mountains of Switzerland... What they did is they didn't start an advertising campaign and um, try to get their message out so that people would come to this place uh, so that they could share the gospel with them. What they simply did was prayed that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would send the right people to them. That God would simply send people. And wouldn't you know it? People came. People came from four corners of the globe and came to a mountain village in Switzerland to study under Francis and Edith Schaefer. It was Christians and non-Christians alike. 
They simply prayed that God would send the people, and he did. You know, today, Christianity is exploding. And it's exploding in areas like China, and in Central Asia, and in Central America, and in Africa, and even in Russia. And it seems like in areas like this where the gospel is exploding, we look at our own nation here, in North America, and in Europe, and we, see, we get this sense that Christianity is dying. And we question, why is that? And the answer comes down to this. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is moving right now in places like China, where people are coming to faith in Christ. Uh, We have several friends that are missionaries there, and we've seen the work that God is doing there. And it is incredibly exciting, and there is nothing that you can say other than the fact that it is God's Spirit being poured out in an extraordinary way, bringing people to faith in Christ. So, we know that God does work and pour out His Spirit in ordinary ways, and that He can and He does pour it out in extraordinary ways as well. But how does that happen? So if we look at our passage this morning, how does that happen? Well, what happened on the day of Pentecost? It says in Acts 2, verse 1 here, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now I'm going to make a little bit of a jump here. It doesn't actually say this in our passage. But I'm going to make the inference that what happens, or what did the disciples do when they got together in one place? What did they typically do together as a fellowship? If we look back in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So I'm going to make the argument, and many commentators will say this as well, that while these men were together on the day of Pentecost, one of the things that they were doing was that they were praying. When they got together, they prayed. And at that point, God poured out His Spirit on them in a very powerful way on the day of Pentecost. Uh, If you look at other verses in the book of Acts as well, if you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31, We see another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with great boldness. If you remember the story of Paul and Silas as they are in the Philippian jail, we see another earthquake and a pouring out of the Holy Spirit And this is what it says in Acts 16, 25, and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The Holy Spirit is poured out. So there seems to be this special connection between prayer and the giving of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to be very careful here. So if we keep reading in Acts chapter 2, if we look at verse 2, it says, Suddenly, um, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house 
where they were sitting. What I get from this word suddenly is that God, in a very spectacular way, at a very particular moment, poured out His Spirit on His people. It came without warning. It came when they least expected it. And it was an astonishing outpouring. I don't want us to think that prayer is some magic spell that we can cast and say, if we just say the right prayer, then God will come with His Holy Spirit in a spectacular way to outpour that on on us. Uh, That's not what I'm saying here. But there seems to be this very deep and intimate connection. And what I was convicted of this past week is that I, how often I do not pray for God to pour out His Spirit. Um, one of the things that I desire for us to be convicted of is for us to pray that God would pour out His Spirit on us in extraordinary and powerful ways. Um, this past week, I was uh, listening to a sermon by John Piper, and he shared an example from the life of D.L. Moody. Uh, D.L. Moody has a special place in my heart because his heart was for Chicago. And being you know, from Chicago and growing up there, um, I like to read a little bit about Moody and what he had done there. Um, obviously, Moody Bible Institute and Moody Church is a big presence there in downtown Chicago. But Moody was ministering there in the year 1871. And when he would preach, there would be two women who would sit on the front row. And during the time he would be preaching, they would be praying. And at first it kind of frustrated him because he wished that they would be listening to his sermon. Uh, But when he spoke to them, they said that they were praying for him. And what he said was, don't pray for me. Pray for the people so that they would hear and that they would understand. But what they explained to him was that we're praying for you so that you would have the power of the Holy Spirit when you preach. And Moody, then in his life, began to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. If you know your history of Chicago, uh, not long after that, there was a great Chicago fire. Moody's church was decimated, his home was decimated, and he went to New York so that he could raise some support from others and try to rebuild his church. While he was in New York, he was walking the streets, and he was praying. He was praying this prayer that God would pour out his spirit. And lo and behold, on some random street in the city of New York, he felt an overwhelming presence of God. And I'm going to read what he wrote about that. Um, We can hear about it in his own words. He says this, I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be as the, as the small dust of the balance. Now, I don't know what that is like. I don't know what that looks like. 
um, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But I know that God, by His Holy Spirit, does dwell within us. And that God's Spirit is powerful. So this is what I'm going to challenge us with today, next week, and as we go through the book of Acts. For us to be praying for God to pour out His Spirit on us in extraordinary ways. Now, I'm not asking that we suddenly turn into a church where we're running the aisles, where there's rampant speaking in tongues. Uh, I'm not sure that that is the biblical response that happened on the day of Pentecost. But what happens when God pours out His Spirit in a mighty and a powerful way, this is the first thing that happens. There is repentance of sin, and there is a trust in our Lord and Savior There's a trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. As we get to the end of chapter 2, we'll see that as Peter concludes his sermon, the people ask, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. So as we conclude this morning, we're going to come to the table. And we're going to ask that God pours out His Spirit on us. That He draws us to a place of repentance. And that He reminds us with assurance of what He has done for us and for our sins through the elements, through His broken body and through His shed blood. So my challenge for us is this. Would you please join me as a fellowship? Join me in praying that God would pour out His Spirit in our hearts, His Spirit in our community, in our nation, and in our world, so that we would be powerful witnesses of the truths of the Gospel. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit in our lives and that you would start even now, that you would convict us of our sin as we come confessing to you right now and that you would assure us of your Son, Jesus, and what he has done for us through the cross. We come to you humbly and we ask that you would move. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.